The following podcast contains explicit language. Welcome to Mom and Dad are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, February 27th, the Hyphenation Headache Edition. I'm Dan Coyce. I'm a writer at Slate. I'm the author of the book, How to Be a Family, and I'm the dad of Lyra, who's 14, and Harper, who's 12. We live in Arlington, Virginia. I'm Elizabeth Newcamp. I write the family travel and homeschool blog, Dutch Dutch Goose. I'm mom to three boys, Henry seven, Oliver five, and Teddy three. My husband's in the Air Force, so we're currently calling Navarre, Florida home. And I'm Gabriel Roth. I'm the editorial director of Slate Podcasts. I'm the father to Eliza, who's nine years old, and Leo, who is now five and a half. And I'm coming to you from Slate's studio in Brooklyn, New York. Welcome back, Gabe. Yay. It's good to be here. Today on the show, we have a question from a mom who just doesn't know what to do about picking her baby's last name. Is it sexist to default to the dad's last name? And we have a question from a dad who's wondering if he should keep paying for travel hockey when his kid sucks at hockey. Plus, triumphs and fails and recommendations. Let's start with the great Gabriel Roth. Do you have a triumph or fail for us this week? Well, I think it's a triumph. My wife would tell you that it's a fail. I would like you out there in Radioland to referee this marital dispute for me, if you wouldn't mind. So we went away for the weekend with some friends of the kids from school and their parents, and we had a lovely weekend. We live in New York. We don't need a car. And so when we go away on trips, we rent a car, and that is what works for us. And so I'm not used to parking a car. We got back from the trip, and we're driving this rental car, and I drop everybody off, and it's like it's nighttime, and we've just finished driving, and every, a bunch of stuff to get out of the car. Everyone's a bit flummoxed. And I park the car in what seems like a good parking space, but obviously I'm not a parking expert because I don't own a car. <laughs> so I don't know, like, all the little ins and outs and all the sort of nuances of where it's okay to park and where it isn't okay to park. And so I find a parking space right across the street from my house, which is really convenient because with the kids and the luggage and everything. And I park there and we get everything out. But it turns out that maybe part of the reason why that parking space was available is that it's too close to a bus stop. It's not marked or anything. I want to really stress this. There's no marking anywhere that says, no, you can't park here. The curb is completely nude. But when I get up the next morning to go get the car to take it back to the rental place, the car is not there. So I call the tow yard and the car has been taken to the tow yard, etc. So far, it seems totally like a triumph. <laughs> Thank you. Here's the thing. So when I see that it's not there, you know, huge bummer. Hopefully it hasn't been stolen, right? That would be a catastrophe. Hopefully it's only been towed. I don't know if you have ever had your car towed, but the one time I had my car towed in the past when I was a much younger man living in San Francisco, it ate up like literally a day and a half of my life, like going in on the bus to the tow yard way on the other side of town and then hunting around the tow yard for the car. There was like a million cars there. It took me like an hour of like walking around looking for my car before I found it. And then the battery was dead and I had to have like a mechanic come out to the tow yard. To anyway, it's a complete nightmare. So now I've found the family car is towed and I'm thinking, oh my God, this means another day and a half of my life is just gone, eaten up. And I'm like mentally rearranging all of my obligations and my work stuff in my head. How am I going to like get this car back? And then there's going to be the extra charge from the rental company as well as the towing charge and the parking ticket. What a nightmare. So. I do this thing that I do in my head where, like, when something like that happens, when there's going to be a big hassle or a big inconvenience, I just sort of swallow and I'm like, 
okay, this is my life for the next 24 hours is just dealing with this toad car bullshit. I'm going to sort this out. And I go and I figure out what to do. And I look up the tow yard and I call them and I give them the number plate. And they say, yes, we have it right here. And I call the rental car company and they say, that's fine. You've got the car until four o'clock anyway. And I go to the tow yard and it's like right around the corner from my house. And I take one of those little electric scooters that you can get with your phone now. I just zip up to the tow yard. And the thing at the tow yard is there's nobody in line. And I wait there and the guy like finds my car right away. And then there's a cop in like a parking cop car who drives you straight to your car now. And so they drive me straight to my car in the tow yard and I get in and for a second I think it's not going to start but then it does start because the battery is not dead and then I like pay the ticket which was you know it's a hundred bucks it's like annoying to have to pay a hundred bucks but then I like drive the car out and the whole thing has taken me like about an hour maybe slightly less than an hour and then I go and return it to the rental car company and it was a minor inconvenience and obviously like now I'm out a hundred bucks and that's a bummer but it was so much better than the thing that I had made it into in my head. It beat expectations. It was like a Pete Buttigieg day. It beat expectations by such a huge margin that now it felt like a complete triumph. And so I came home and, you know, I had texted my wife like, oh, the car's been towed. I got to go deal with the car. Oh, can you believe this bullshit? And I came home that evening and she was like, oh, God, I'm so sorry you had to deal with this stuff with the car getting towed. And I was like, no, no, it was great. It only took like an hour. What a fantastic day. And so I think that that's a triumph of like expectations management and sort of self-care and mood management. But my wife thinks that the way I do that in my head, like justifies costing us a hundred bucks and like sets us up for failure in the future because I should feel bad about having the car gotten towed because we're increasing the chance that next time I have to park the car, I will once again park it in a stupid place. So I want to know if you think that's a triumph or a fail. Triumph. I think Thank expectation you. management is the key to happiness. And Thank that if you. you can always <laughs> assume that things are going to be worse, you will always feel better about what's happened. And thus, you are a happier person. And your wife got you coming home happy instead of mad. Thank you. But she was frustrated because she feels like my happiness is at the expense of our future wealth. It could have been so much worse. <laughs> Thank you. Gabe, I also think this is a triumph for one simple reason, which is the night before when you pull in your car from wherever you guys were vacationing, it's nighttime and you've got kids to get in the house and stuff to unload and you got to find a place to park this stupid car. If someone had walked up to you at that moment and been like, for $100, you can just park across the street and not have to worry about it. You would have been like, I will seriously consider that offer. That's probably worth it. Instead of like driving around for half an hour looking for space or whatever, who knows? That was totally worth it. And so that's a clear triumph. Ooh, I like this. The hour was already gone anyway. Right. You just spent it in the morning instead of that night. Another that's win. That's a great point. Thank you. Weigh in on our <laughs> Facebook page if you think that, in fact, it was a huge fail. I would like to hear the case for that. And I look forward to your wife logging into the Facebook page to tell us. Elizabeth, do you have a triumph or a fail for us this week? I have a triumph that also might look like a fail, but I went away for my five-day trip to Disney to run my 10K. I was hesitant about leaving the kids, not because Jeff is not a great father. He is wonderful. But in the past when I have left them, like I think the first time I left Teddy, we were living in the Netherlands. And before I had even boarded the plane, Teddy fell into a canal and Jeff was forced to call me because he was worried about the bacteria that he swallowed and that had gotten into the abrasion in his eye from hitting the bottom of the canal. And then I think 
the most recent time I've left the children, Jeff makes our dishwasher pellets. I know. And um, I'm sorry, he makes them. He makes them. Yeah. I mean, that's a whole nother situation. Out of what? Borax and lemon juice and, you know, all kinds of natural <laughs> things. And so as a result, I mean, this this is literally Wait, an entirely what? another. Yes. What? yes. <laughs> what in the fuck? You, you have no idea. He makes them in mini muffin tins and then was shocked <laughs> when our five-year-old sampled one. Again, calling me before I've even Does it left. look like a muffin? I mean, they're white. They're in muffin tins. They get put in the oven. Can you blame the five-year-old? Anyway. This is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. I know. And you know what? You know what he will tell us? <laughs> I'm going to say the number wrong and he's going to be mad. How much each costs us versus like buying a box of the Cascade. So I bet he makes them on turbo Jeff mode. He does. Too, make, so they're yes, made in like yes. seconds. At what rate are you pricing his labor there? Well, no. (laughs) No, he works at Turbo Jeff speed. So it is like disaster around him, but things get done very quickly. He does a bunch of things like this. These are things that bring him joy. So he does them. And then every time we use one, he thinks this is money safe. So anyway, this is the situation in which I am leaving my children. I think I've talked about Henry's anxiety, but he's kind of a high needs kid. He has this neurological condition called pandas that can sometimes make him very difficult to deal with. So my parents actually flew down because I was leaving Thursday morning really early and not coming back till Monday. And I went on this trip and I basically was like, do not call me unless a child is in the hospital. Like if they fall into a canal, if they eat dishwasher pellets, like just deal with it. I'm going to go on this mom's trip. I need this. It's going to be amazing. I'm running this 10K. It was total chaos while I was gone. Nobody ended up in the hospital, but like pictures were knocked off the wall and there were outbursts and hurt feelings and all this. But here is why it is a triumph because I went anyway. It was amazing. If you go on a trip with a whole bunch of moms, it is incredible. Like anytime Anyone gets up to do anything, they chuck on everybody else's needs. <laughs> Literally, I was like room sharing with two of my best friends, and it was like someone would get up and be like, Can I bring anyone water? Is the light good? Are we ready to shut the door? Do you need another blanket? It was amazing. Sounds very oppressive. It was incredible. I survived my 10K and I got home, and you know what? We're all fine. The house needs some touch up paint. But other than that, <laughs> we're really great. So this is my triumph. And I want to say from this, if you are thinking that you need to get away and you feel like you cannot leave your family, you can. And it will be okay. And I'm a better mom being back this week. So success. Good job. Good triumph. Finishing that 10K. I'm very impressed. That is nine more K than I'm willing to run. <laughs> yeah, congratulations. Well, thanks. I feel good about it. You know, and when I'm gone, this is also when he makes all the things. So, right. So now you have just so stopped. many delicious white muffins yeah. sitting around. Well, he the makes house. the laundry detergent too, which again is like a whole nother thing. Motherfucker. I okay. Know. I also have a triumph. What a glorious day of triumphs <laughs> we have here on Mom and Dad are Fighting. This serves as a kind of update to a previous fail that I reported maybe six months ago. Our kids got braces. I was unable to find a rationale for not getting them braces. We have so little money. It's amazing. But so Lyra has to wear rubber bands. I don't know if either of you had braces or if you have experience with rubber bands. Yes, they're I had braces. I was supposed to wear rubber bands but never did, which is why my teeth look exactly the same as they did before I got braces. But Lyra wears her rubber bands and she has to wear them in this insane configuration. It's like on both sides of her mouth, like connected to five or six different hooks inside her mouth. It looks like a cat's cradle in her face. And so when she first got her braces, I would like try to help her with the rubber bands at night. But I have these big 
clumsy meat fingers and I chew my nails. So I like didn't have nails. So I couldn't like grip the rubber bands and I kept snapping her in the gums <laughs> with rubber bands. And I would just be like, ah, oh, forget it. I didn't even want to get pregnant in the first place. <laughs> and I know that that is not helpful to anyone in my home, like my daughter or my wife who just ended up always having to do the rubber bands. And Lyra did like learn how to do the rubber bands herself eventually. But last week, because Alia was out of town, I gritted my teeth. I rolled up my sleeves. I have stopped biting my nails. So I now have fingernails. And I use that little plastic tool that they give us that you can use to like manipulate rubber bands inside a kid's mouth. And I figured out how to do my daughter's stupid rubber bands. So I'm no longer useless. I got over myself. It is a belated triumph. Thank you very much. You're still working on the doing it with a happy heart part, right? I will never do it with a happy heart, but that's not, I don't think anyone expects that, Elizabeth. Please. (laughs) It's good that they got braces right at the same time. Remind me why? (laughs) (laughs) Well, if one of them gets braces and the other one doesn't, then the one who gets braces is like, oh, that sucks. I have braces. How come I have to have braces and the other one doesn't? Yeah, but then we would have money. Yeah, fair point. (laughs) I mean, you would spend the same amount of money, but stretched out over more time and with more sibling antagonism. You're right. You're right. It's like your hour saved in the evening versus the morning. All right. Let's do some business. Uh, After our multiple triumphs on every front, we really are just fantastic parents this week. I want to give it up to all of us. Slate's parenting newsletter is the best place to be notified about all of our parenting content here on Slate.com, including this very podcast, Mom and Dad are Fighting, Karen Feeding, our parenting advice column, and much, much more. It is also a personal email from me every single week, except last week when I forgot. Sign up at Slate.com slash parenting email. I promise I'll remember this week. Also, come join us on Facebook. Just search for Slate Parenting in the little search doohickey. It's a really fun community. We keep close watch over it. We answer questions. We post podcasts. We respond to comments. We ban jerks. We do it all. It's a great place to be. Search for Slate Parenting on Facebook. This is the best Facebook group. I really love this Facebook group. And I never thought I would be a person who would be super enthusiastic about a parenting Facebook group. It's very, very good. Also, sometimes we'll steal your questions and use them on the show. Good point. In Slate Plus today, Elizabeth is going to tell me and Gabe the truth about homeschooling. Here's a quick sneak peek of what you'll hear if you have Slate Plus. I actually think I've gone back to just like a mom in which at any moment you could be being homeschooled and you might not know it. (laughs) Like that is a comment that comes up a lot. Like we will be out on like a nature walk and then Henry will be like, is this a lesson? And I'm like, yes, we have just completed, you know, a lesson. (laughs) To hear segments like that and to get ad-free podcasts, sign up for Slate Plus. That's Slate's membership program. It is a great way to support everything we do. For just $35 for your first year, you can help cover the cost of producing Mom and Dad are Fighting and other lesser Slate podcasts. And of course, in return, you'll get extended ad-free versions of this show and other lesser Slate shows, plus a ton of other great benefits. So... Support mom and dad are fighting. Go to slate.com slash mom and dad plus and join Slate Plus today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, 
Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, we have two listener questions this week. Let's listen to the first one. It is being read, as always, by the incomparable Shasha Leonard. Dear Mom and Dad, my husband and I are having our first baby this summer, and I'm struggling with picking his last name. The default is to use the father's, but I can't think of any non-sexist justification for sticking with that tradition. The problem is, I don't love any other solutions, like a new or blended name. If we hyphenate, what will he do if and when he's having his own kid? Are there legitimate, practical reasons not to use the mother's last name? I'd love to know how or if you thought about this, and pros and cons of different ways of handling it. Thanks. Let's start with you, Elizabeth. You... Gave your kids your husband's last name. In fact, you took his last name. You are not a sexist, as far as I know. Why did you make those decisions? Correct. So I actually grew up as a hyphenate. My maiden name was Jablonski Deal. My mother did not change her name when she was married. She was a attorney. She had gone to Harvard Law School. There were all these amazing things that she had done. And so when she got married, she kept her name. My parents decided together to hyphenate our names um, and... I spent my entire childhood as a hyphenate, which I think now is very different than it was in the 80s. A hyphen was not available on any standardized tests. When I got a driver's license, it was not available. When I applied to college, it was not available. They would just smush it all together into this Jablonski deal situation. And sometimes there weren't enough What's letters. What's your Jablonski deal? So I was Jablonski die most of the time because that's where the letters <laughs> ran out. <laughs> I don't have a lot of warm fuzzies about growing up as a hyphenate, but I will say this. I think there is a lot of power in choosing a name and that, yes, it is absolutely a sexist practice to just assign the father's last name. But I think one of the beauties of feminism is about allowing families and particularly women to make the choice. And so when I had the opportunity to get married, one of the things I really wanted was to be like the new camps and just have our whole family have the same name because that's not how I grew up. Frequently when traveling with a parent would need to make sure to have some kind of document because I did not share the same last name as my parents. When I got to law school, teachers often thought I was already married or the expectation when I would show up someplace if someone had just seen me on paper would be that I was Hispanic or came from Spain or somewhere else where the hyphenation was more common, which is totally fine. But then it's like this has become the conversation about this name when that has nothing to do with like who I am or why I'm showing up here. That being said, in this day and age, I think it's much more common. I think you don't necessarily need to make the decision based on what your child will do. Like at that point that they're having a child or they're getting married, they're in a position where they can make a decision about their name. And I actually ended up taking my mother's portion of the name as my middle name as sort of a homage to her keeping her name. I took Deal as my middle name and then my husband's name as my last name. 
But, you know, as a hyphenate, you probably don't have a Google doppelganger. If I search my maiden name, it's just me and my sister that come up. There are reasons to assign the father's name. If you're going to carry this baby and be a huge part of this baby's life, sometimes you could say, well, I want him to have the father's name to feel part of that. You could also say, I'm doing all the work. I should get to give my name. But I think that should be a discussion that they have. And I just think there are so many options now. There's really, you know, no kind of downside to whatever you decide. And at the end of the day, your kid's probably going to be mad about it anyway, regardless of what you did. So, Elizabeth, I can't believe you decided to get rid of the proud name of Jablonski. There are actually a lot of Jablonskis out there. A good Polish We're going to hear from every fucking one of them. Yeah. <laughs> I know, you guys, it means barrel of apples. My father jokes that I had to name my first child after him, and he wanted to be called Baby Jabbles. Um, <laughs> yeah. Jablo. Jablo, that we had all kinds of, yes. I'm very happy with my decision, though. You know, we made similar decisions in our family. Alia kept her last name, but we didn't hyphenate our kids' last names. We just gave them my name. As I recall, and I'm excited to hear later whether my recollection is correct, the decision was based not so much on feeling like, well, it's just the way it is that kids have the dad's last name, and more that Alia, while she loves her family, did not feel that her last name was anything particularly exciting. Her last name is Smith, and there's no shortage of Smiths in the world, and my last name is a little bit more unique, and she thought it would be more fun to have our kids have that last name, but I might report back next week with news that, in fact, I was like, they must have my last name. For you have given birth to them, and I must feel connected in some way. I don't know. That seems crazy. You are correct, Elizabeth, that they should absolutely not make the decision based on worrying about what their child might do 30 years from now when he has his own kid. Like, who gives a shit about that? By then, last names will be obsolete, or we'll all have serial numbers, or he'll be underwater anyway. I don't know. Make the decision based on what you guys want to do. I'm also very curious what her husband thinks, which is something that she does not notably put anywhere in this letter. Gabe, what do you think? I did something similar to what you, Dan, are afraid you might have done, but don't recall yourself doing. Our kids have my last name. My wife did not change her name. I decided while she was pregnant and we were talking about this stuff that I was thinking about my father who died when I was younger, who had no siblings who survived to have children. And so it felt as though it was important to me to preserve the name Roth for the next generation of my family. That does seem important to me. It also like is one of those slightly unanswerable arguments. Like I think my wife would have liked to have the kids have her name. And other than patriarchy, there's no intrinsic reason why they should shouldn't, but I was able to to make this argument from grief and emotion in a way that maybe helped me swing the argument. So do I feel great about that in retrospect? Not really. Would I feel sad if my kids didn't have the last name Roth? I think I probably would, although by now maybe I would have gotten over it. Who the hell knows? This is one of those respects in which patriarchy has just completely fucked us because unless you just feel fine about entirely breaking with convention and traveling 
travestying the memory of your dead father or whatever, then there's no easy alternative but to do the sexist thing. So I guess mostly I'm saying to the letter writer, I feel you and this is hard and there's no great solution. And whatever you come up with, it's going to feel wrong on some front, whether it's a gender politics front or a family legacy front or a, is this too weird kind of front. I don't know. So I'm really the last person you should be asking for advice about this, basically. It sounds like they should hyphenate. Like, it just seems like my problems with hyphenation are exactly the same as Elizabeth's problems. I wasn't hyphenated, but we both come from an era in which it was weird. It was the weird kids whose names were hyphenated. And everyone would be like, oh, yeah, that that, that kid, he's got like two last exactly. names. Exactly. <laughs> I do think she makes a good point, though, that like hyphenation is a tool that's useful. You get one shot at that. And right. like, does she really want to use up her lineage's shot at hyphenation? Sure. The compromise that you're making is you're balancing everything for your generation and fucking it up for future generations. Well, but isn't that basically what we do with everything? Why like not do that with names? Yeah, but maybe it good won't matter point. to them. I guess I just felt like it didn't matter as much to me. Like my mom keeping her name, it very much mattered to her. I also went to law school before I, you know, got married. I also had done this stuff. But what I valued personally was being this, you know, probably in response to what had happened to me, but being a family unit, being able to address a Christmas card or have an address stamp that said the new camps. That was important to me. It wasn't important to her. I think that's okay. Like to presume that this name will be that important to the child may not be true. Right. You have no idea how your kid is going to feel about this other than that Elizabeth is right, that he'll complain no matter what you do. It seems from the letter like what's important to her is like to not be forced into a sexist situation. So then the answer is hyphenate, choose a new name or give the kid your name. Like those are all legitimate choices. And I hope your husband has some say in this question. But I do think it's not impossible that the two of you could agree on one of those possibilities. Yeah, I felt like I just wanted to relieve the letter writer of the burden of worrying about what happens next. Right. What happens next is we all get taken over by the machines. All right. Good luck, letter writer. I feel comfortable that you will be able to find a solution to this that makes you happy, that makes your husband happy, and that makes your kid miserable at first, but then later they don't care. If you have a question for us, please email us at momandad at slate.com. Or post it to the Slate Parenting Facebook group, which is where we found this second listener question, which is once again being read by the one and only Shasha Leonard. Dear mom and dad, my seven-year-old son is bad at hockey. Not just from a skills perspective. He's a great skater, but he lags and everything else. But from the perspective of just, you know, playing the game. He forgets which position he's playing. He decides to practice pirouettes. Or he's just skating in circles without regard to what's going on with the puck. The same issues were apparent last year when he was playing in a rec division. But after his coach told them about travel team tryouts, he wanted in. Having watched him float his way through a year of rec hockey, we explained tryouts to him. That it would be a chance to show that he was ready to play travel hockey. And if the coaches thought he wasn't ready, he'd get cut. Given past performance, we expected he'd get cut and that he'd learn a hard but valuable lesson about effort and attention. No surprise, he completely bombed the tryout. And then the coaches told us that they weren't making any cuts. He made the team. 
We explained to my son that if he wanted to play travel hockey, he'd have to give up a lot of other activities, hanging out with his friends, drawing, crafts, for hockey. We explained that the coaches would expect more effort and attention from him than he was giving. We explained that other kids were going to be more competitive and might get upset with him if he wasn't paying attention. He didn't care. He was excited about playing more hockey. My wife and I don't hate it. We like the other parents. The program is focused on character and sportsmanship rather than being super competitive and about winning games. The other kids are great and are some of my son's best friends. The coaches are all relentlessly positive with him and continually reassure us that he'll get it eventually. For the most part, my son loves it. He never complains about having to go, even when we have to get up at 5.30 a.m. on a weekend to be at a rink an hour away at 7 a.m. This is literally the only time he will ever get up, get dressed, and to the breakfast table on his own, by the way. But when I ask him what he likes about hockey, it's unrelated to hockey. He likes the time in the car, his teammates, the uniforms, the skating, but not really playing hockey. He also complains that he just doesn't have enough time to do other stuff he enjoys, but when we suggest that he might want to play rec next year, or heck, just take up skating, he flat out says he doesn't want to do that. He wants to play hockey. And yet, he still just looks like a dingbat on the ice. While we can afford the cost and the time, I have to weigh that against the fact that I could watch him be a dingbat while he's playing rec hockey at a third of the cost and half the time commitment, which would leave all of us, him included, more time for other stuff. Tryouts for next year are coming up, and if I had any confidence they were going to make any cuts, I'd let him try out and let the chips fall where they may. But I don't. My wife thinks we give it one more year and hope that the extra year of maturity will make him more attentive and coachable. I think we allow him to try out, but only if he demonstrates a commitment to practicing hockey skills on his own once regular practices end. What should we do? I love this question so much. This is like a fantastic story. Like I can see this kid perfectly. I was this kid, not about hockey, but about whatever other stuff I was trying to do. My kids. You don't even remember what it was. I I don't know what it was. I wasn't paying attention. I was too busy, like hanging out with my friends or like daydreaming or skating around in little circles. I don't feel confident about this, but I think the answer is that you should let the kid keep doing hockey for as long as he wants to do hockey and the hockey institution will allow him to play hockey and not select him out. What's at the heart of this is the particular human endeavor of concentration and applying oneself and trying to master an activity that's intrinsically difficult. And I feel like I didn't really pay any attention to that as a thing until I was maybe in my mid-20s. Like, I feel like as a kid, there were some things that were easy for me, and there were other things that were hard for me, and I would be, like, exactly as good at the thing as I was without, like, the idea of, I'm going to really work to get better at doing this thing. I'm going to practice my strokes, and I'm going to concentrate on skating, and I'm going to really try to follow the puck, and there's no way I could have done that. This kid is seven years old. There's no way I could have done it at seven, and there's probably no way I could have done it at 12. My hope for this kid is that at some point, the incentive of, like, scoring 
a goal at hockey or being congratulated by his teammates is going to make something sort of flip in his head and he's going to say, hey, maybe I should pay attention to the position of the puck and try and get my stick there. But if it doesn't happen while he's seven or eight or nine or 12, then that's all right too. And I totally get the parent's desire not to spend this money and schlep the kid around to do all this stuff. But the kid likes it as a thing that he does. He likes the social stuff and he likes skating around and everybody else likes him and nobody minds. And the parent says, I don't hate doing it either. And it just feels like either your kid is going to learn something really valuable about how to apply oneself to something difficult and improve at it. Or you guys are going to sort of waste a little bit of money and some free weekend time, and that's going to be okay. What do you think, Dan? I mean, it should not be any surprise where I fall on this kind of question. I mean, the answer is you never should have tried out for travel hockey yes, in the first place. exactly. <laughs> Ideally, in an <sighs> ideal world, your child would never know that travel hockey exists. It was such a cop-out to let him try out. They wanted him to get cut. Right, which, I mean, it's crazy that he didn't get cut, but that was an error. However, your child gets out of bed early to go to travel hockey games where he doesn't even really play very well, yet loves it so much. You have the money and the time. The coaches in the program sound great. His friends do it. I hate to tell you, letter writer, but you have not argued a particularly good case for pulling your kid out of travel hockey. It is a beloved activity where he is surrounded by supportive friends, learns good things, and has a wonderful time that you don't hate. It's not going to get any better in terms of extracurricular activities that your kid could be doing. So I feel like you probably just need to let him try out again. And maybe they cut him or maybe they don't. The other thing I'll say is that this is not a forever problem. They are not going to forever continue to not cut kids from travel hockey, no matter how much funding they want for their program. Probably next year or the year after, kids are going to get cut. And if your kid is that kid, you are, in fact, going to face a whole set of other problems, which is that he will be sad and you will lose access to those friends who will suddenly be unavailable because they're off playing travel hockey. And that will be a whole set of other bummers. So I think you just got to embrace the scenario. This is your cross to bear at this point, and it's not that bad of a cross. So I think that you just got to stick with it. Elizabeth, what do you think? I disagree. You disagree? <laughs> I disagree Great. with both of you. I just think your seven-year-old doesn't run the family. The one thing you've introduced him to is hockey. So yes, he loves like hanging out with friends. He likes the snacks and the uniforms. Like You have just described every activity. We should try something else. Dan, I get it. The initial mistake was made when you hoped that he would get cut for something that you didn't want to do so that you didn't have to tell him no. The subtext here is, I don't want to do this, but I don't want to make my child sad. And I feel a little bit like it's not a parent's responsibility to make sure your kid is always being happy. And there are lots of opportunities to find the thing that jives with your child. If he doesn't pick it up, eventually he gets cut. Now he's 10 and the only thing he's ever done is travel hockey. You haven't tried something else or found that thing that he really enjoys and has an opportunity to be good at. I don't think you should cut out hockey altogether. I think this rec league sounds great. But I also think there are other things to try and to do that have these aspects that he really enjoys and give your child a chance to find the thing that he also excels at and that you don't feel like is a waste of your 
time. Our seven-year-old Henry is very good at gymnastics, and they came and said we'd like him to be on the team and I went to the meeting and it's like my son absolutely wants to be on the team all his friends are doing this and then I look and I say like yeah we can afford this and we can do this but I don't want to travel to these meets I don't want to be driving him to practice you know three times a week for however many hours and have the other kids with me and so it's a hard conversation but to say listen at seven you don't understand what this commitment really looks like for the effort you need to put in. And so as your parent, I am laying down this boundary that just says, we are not doing this now. And I understand maybe I run the risk of like, I have just, you know, thwarted some kind of like gymnastics gold medal. But I really think that's unlikely. Well, that's not the risk to be worried about, right? Like no reasonable person should be betting anything on the notion that the reason you're doing these travel sports is that your kid is going to win a gold medal or get a college scholarship or whatever. Right. I've had an infinite number of conversations with Harper about how, no, you may not try out for this travel thing because we don't want to do travel sports. But I think that is a totally different kind of decision than the decision of, yes, we let you do travel sports and you did it for a year and you loved it and they love you, but we're not going to let you do it this year because we don't like it anymore. Like that just seems like a very different situation. And I don't think I would pull that on my kid. Right. The thing that you guys are both saying, the thing that Elizabeth is saying is I didn't let my kid do gymnastics, even though he was good at it, because I didn't want to schlep him to gymnastics every weekend. That's totally reasonable. And if this letter writer were saying, I am so sick of taking him to hockey every weekend, we have to drive here and there and it's destroying our family life. I got to pull him out of hockey. I would say, yeah, absolutely. Pull the kid out of hockey. But what the letter writer is saying is I don't hate doing it, but my kid is not good enough at hockey for me to think he deserves a place on this trip travel hockey team. And that focus on whether the kid is good at the activity or not seems to me absolutely misplaced. Like as Dan said, the kid is not going to be a professional hockey player no matter what. None of the kids on the team are going to be a professional hockey player. Maybe one of them has a shot at a hockey scholarship to college or something like that. But that's not why they're doing this. It's not about like future rewards for excellence. And I think your decision as to whether your kid is allowed to participate in travel hockey shouldn't hinge on whether he looks like a dingbat or not. It's fine for him to look like a dingbat. He's having fun and nobody else seems to mind except for you. But I guess it does say like he complains that he doesn't have enough time to do the other stuff he enjoys. That's the one little justification. Well, and he has I also for think like when the letter writer says like, well, we go and we don't hate it. I guess I just feel like the subtext is like it's not the worst thing, but we're also not like, you know, really excited to have this be part of our family structure. I guess I just think it's okay to just say, we're going to play this rec hockey. And if you get better or these things like, but we're also going to try some things that have the same elements that you like and see if you like it more. Yeah. They ask him what he likes about hockey. None of it is the hockey. Well, but that's because he's seven. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So if your child is seven and he doesn't like the hockey part and you don't want to be taking him to hockey, which is why he's writing us this letter because he doesn't really want to take his child to this. So you believe this letter is actually a call for help and he is desperate for us I to be think like, he yes, wants, I wrote, if quit you are seeking permission not to play travel sports, I give it to you. I, <laughs> I give you permission fine. to have said no to travel sports a year ago, but you fucking blew it. Exactly. Pal. Exactly. I did write down like a whole list of things I think are great about team sports. And I do agree with you that just because you are not good at it does not mean that there is not value. 
letter writer, if the truth behind your letter is that actually you do, in fact, hate doing this or strongly dislike doing it, definitely stop doing it. It's not worth it. But if the truth is that you are for some reason really opposed to your son looking like a dingbat out there on the ice, I think you should get over it. I'm on board with that answer, for sure. Are we all in agreement that he should absolutely not make his son's participation contingent on extracurricular skills practice? Yes. 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 That would just yes. mean yes. that Fuck he would that. have to spend more of his time watching his kids suck at hockey, like in their backyard. Yeah. Okay, you can still play hockey, but only if you do it in a way that you hate doing. Yeah, right. yeah exactly. Other listeners, I hope the lesson you take from this is never sign your kid up for travel sports. Hockey Dad, we hope this was helpful. Help us help you. Email us at slate.com or post on the Slate Parenting Facebook group as this parent did. All right, let us move on to some recommendations. Elizabeth, what do you have for us? I'm recommending Paint by Sticker Books. These are great quiet activities for kind of slightly older kids, and they have like junior ones and then more advanced ones. We use them a lot for like when we're going to a restaurant or in a waiting room, and I don't necessarily want to rely on a tablet. And basically, it's just like paint by number, but there's little stickers that you peel off and put down. And what I love is that there are like ones that are famous paintings. There are ones that are birds. There's also like fun, just like random animals, but they feel pretty educational. My kids have learned quite a few famous paintings as a result of completing these. And they like the challenge of it. The stickers are small and you have to stick them all together and it keeps them quiet. I like it. A paint by When you first started talking, I thought you were Kind of tell us about how Jeff mixes his own paints from ancient pigments and dyes. <laughs> no, but you know, gosh, Dan, I <laughs> can't even. I like dye <laughs> Play-Doh and things with vegetables. It's like a joke among my friends because they will come over and they will say, "Where did you get this?" And I'm like, "Oh, I dyed it with beets." God damn it! <laughs> We're weird people. Okay, what are you recommending today? All right. I'm going to recommend a particular book that Eliza has and that has been great. We got her recently an iPod Touch, specifically only to use as like a music device. The only app she has on it is Spotify because she started getting into music. So now she's listening to music. And the cool thing about Spotify is she can check out like any music artist that she's ever heard of just out of curiosity. Let's hear what that sounds like. And mostly she's been listening to Taylor Swift because she loves Taylor Swift. That's great. Then Spotify will recommend lots of other pop things. And that's great. And then I saw on Twitter a guy who I have known on Twitter for a million years. I don't know him in real life, but he tweeted like, hey, I wrote this book. It's a book to introduce kids to different musical artists. And I was like, oh, she would love that. And I immediately pre-ordered it. And then before it had arrived, after I had pre-ordered it, we were in a bookstore and she saw a copy of the very same book in the bookstore. And she's like, I want this. Can I have this? And I had to be like, actually, I ordered that for you. So you have to wait like three days. And she was really bummed about it. But then it arrived. The book is called Music Is My Life. It's written by Miles Tanzer. It's illustrated by Ali Mack. It's like 80 profiles of different musical artists from every period of like 20th and 21st century popular music. Each one is illustrated in that sort of painted illustration style that you usually see in books that are like pictures of inspirational women from history or whatever, but this like one is like... Women pic- A to Z. Yes, exactly. That same illustration style that we do, like biography things for kids now. It divides up the artists and it explains like what mood you might be in to want to listen to this particular music. When you're feeling angry, listen to this artist. When you're feeling sad, listen to this. When you're feeling happy and you want to jump around, listen to this. Huge range of stuff. She has loved reading it. And then the other day we were in the rental car that I was 
was about to park in a bus stop. We were driving home from this trip, and we were doing the thing we do in the car, which is everybody picks two songs, and then the next person picks two songs, and that's how we decide what we're going to listen to. And it came to her turn to pick her two songs. She had picked some Taylor Swift. She had picked various things. And then it gets to her turn, and she said, have you guys ever heard of Sleater Kinney? Oh, what and a day. We, I mean. What a and day. The oh idea that now we get to listen to Sleater Kinney in the car, like, and it's her choice. It's not us, like, imposing it. Oh, fantastic. We had to try very hard not to be. We've seen Sleater Kinney dozens of times. <laughs> you know what I mean? I had it on final. You don't want to, like, take Sleater Kinney away from her. But, like, now it just it opens up so much stuff for her. Fantastic. Music is my life. The author is Miles Tanzer and the illustrator is Allie Mack. Miles Tanzer is a great guy and a super fun writer. I will definitely check that book out. I hope, based on my experience in a recent week, that he includes Bong Waters' crucial song, The Power of Pussy. I'm almost sure that he doesn't. Oh. This week, I am recommending a comic, a graphic novel, if you will, by an author named Cat Lay, L-E-Y-H. It's a middle grade, I would say, comic called Snapdragon. And it is about a girl in a small town who finds a witch in her neighborhood. Um, But the witch is definitely unexpected in a number of different ways. It's a totally delightful, very progressive, very spooky and interesting comic with a young girl of color at its center, with a genderqueer best friend, with a witch who's more a witch in sort of the in-touch-with-the-natural-world way than in the riding-on-broomsticks way. This witch rides a motorcycle. Uh, It's very, very, very charming. I think a kid anywhere from like 11 to 15 would get a lot out of this book. Catley's cartooning is super fun and energetic and lively, and it's really great. I really liked it. I recommend it. Snapdragon by Catley. It is in bookstores now. Check it out. I literally just ordered it while you were talking about it. Amazing. That great. Tomorrow your daughter will see it in a store, and then you'll be like, tough shit, kid. You get it in two to four weeks. Good stuff. One more time, if you have a question you'd like to ask us on the air, leave us a message at 424-255-7833 or email us at slate.com. And of course, join us on Facebook. Just search for Slate Parenting. It's Gabe Roth's favorite Facebook group. Mom and Dad are Fighting is produced by Rosemary Belson. Merritt Jacob was our audio engineer. For Gabe Roth and Elizabeth Newcamp, I'm Dan Coyce. Thanks for listening. <laughs>